Hi, everyone, and welcome to Storybook the Podcast. Today I'm here with Annie Kay, and I couldn't be more excited to have her here with us. Annie, could you tell us a little bit about you so that we can hear it in your own words, and then let us know how you got into the career that you're in now, please. Nice. Uh, thanks, Heidi. And uh, so my name's Annie Kay. I am a holistic dietitian and yoga therapist. And I was telling my friend Heidi uh, uh, just a few minutes ago about um, my personal life and how my personal life unfolded to really set the stage for what I'm doing now. You know, I when I was in junior high school, actually, I I had a a eating disorder. I had I had developed uh, bulimia, and I actually got the idea from my um, from my high school biology teacher <laughs> um, who described women who were um, who who ate junk food and then uh, vomited. And, you know, it was like, oh, you know, he presented it as, you know, bad Christians and, you know, <laughs> so forth. But it was, it really planted a seed in my mind. So it kind of took off there because it was an answer to an impossible problem of how can we, how can we, you know, eat cheeseburgers and Cokes and still be model thin. So that got rolling for me. And while I did find the help I needed to heal, um, I didn't, I didn't, I can't say I was deeply healed until I really uh, was practicing yoga for a good 10 years. So then I went on and I, I studied nutritional biochemistry at Cornell. Um, I was, a di I've been a dietitian for a good 25 years. And I've, I've worked in a variety of settings. I worked in, in public health, nutrition and physical activity. Most recently, I was at Kripalo. That's where Heidi and I met. Um, I was their lead nutritionist for about 10 years. And now I am a nutrition specialist at Miraval Berkshires, which is a, I think of it as a spa slash think tank. And I'm also in private practice as a nutritionist one day a week. So, so busy. That's yeah. so busy, Annie. And I'm so excited that you're <laughs> reaching so many people. I was curious. I really like to hear the way you said that and that you learned about it from a teacher. You know, I think we learned some of, you learned about the throwing up, you know, from a teacher. And I think we learned so much from adults and the people around us sometimes we realize it's that overt, they've said something, or we just pick up on their behaviors, you know, in more mm -hmm. subtle ways. And so that's so interesting to me that you said after 10 years of yoga is when you started to heal in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. So is, is yoga or anything from that tradition any part of the coaching that you do right now is or part of the eating like is mindful eating part of what you're teaching or how does mm -hmm. how does the nutrition blend together with what you found most healing for you when you coach yeah well uh certainly yoga is central to the work that i do more the philosophical yoga piece yoga was central to my healing and actually was the my whole unfolding within the beautiful practice of yoga um, was was 
definitely my path to healing. And I, I think of it as my area of practice of that interface between a sort of clinical or maybe let's call it Western nutrition, Western integrative nutrition and yoga therapy is definitely the, that interface is where I dance. I mean, I've, I've written two books on it. I teach nutritionists how to operate in there and I definitely use uh, a, a whole yogic uh, framework for how I see nutrition. So yeah, yoga is very central to to both my own healing, but also to my whole perspective as a nutritionist. And do so, you yeah. include movement, like Hatha yoga, the movement of yoga as well, or is it more some of these philosophical tenets? Yeah, you know, Heidi, I think of it as I have all these tools in my toolbox. And for example, there, there are certain uh, digestive issues. I mean, the classic constipation, for example, where there are some definite yoga breathing exercises and teaching people how to get upside down safely, you know, and to, and to um, you know, stoke their digestive fire slash core movement through some of those kind of things that are like, there's such great yogic tools. Um, also just, um, I, I all the time teach that yogic uh, perspective on change, that combination of being and becoming, or, you know, uh, Shakti and Shiva or feminine and, and masculine as, as, you know, that's such a great model for how we change to practice the embodiment practice is also the next right thing. Um, so, so much of my, I guess it's just me. I was so steeped in that philosophy and it just has made so much sense to me that, uh, that yeah, tool in the tools in the tool bag is a great way to think about it. And that's what I love. I know that you've studied Ayurveda too and what a, what a beautiful nature-based wisdom tradition with some really elegant concepts of when is it in balance, when is it out of balance, you know, those kind of concepts I weave into, you know, kind of a Western clinical practice all the time. So, I love that. And, and I wanted yeah. to just dig into that as we just did, because I think some people who will listen to this podcast may just think of yoga as the postures, some of the listeners, you know, they may just think it's the postures, but it's all these other things that you say and Ayurveda and this holistic approach that you were saying earlier that you bring in. Yes, I love the tools that I can agree with that so much. And the other thing some people I think don't realize, to be honest, what I remember before I learned a lot about this is how important digestion is. So when I first came to Kripalu and I was in some classes about Ayurveda, but primarily even some nutrition classes at the time when I first came to Kripalu, I, I was surprised by how often people were talking about poop. And then I realized people were joking that we talk about it a lot. And we talk about digestion as one way of, or elimination. And I was surprised and people were making light of it. Like we talk about it a lot, but it's such a strong indicator and it's, it's important to pay attention to. And so when you mentioned constipation, it's not just that it's uncomfortable, it's something to pay attention to. And so I wonder, you and I were speaking a little bit earlier that right now people are feeling a little bit extra 
stress potentially or other things going on. So what is it that you're seeing lately that you're helping people with that's coming up a lot? Yeah, you know, uh, Heidi, what is really making a big impression on me is that every single human, every single American, because we're in this um, American version of this whole pandemic, has their own experience. Um, and everyone's dealing with this overlay of stress, this overlay of grief, and everyone's very different. I do think that stress is through the roof. I think that some individuals are gaining weight. Some individuals are actually getting more fit. Um, I do think that digestive issues are exploding. I'm finding uh, with my work at Marival, I give talks on gut health and then I give talks on metabolic health. And I am really surprised at how many of the talks, my nutrition talks, when you go around the room and hear what, what draws people to a particular talk, that there's so many digestive issues. Even when people think they're metabolic issues, they're really digestive issues. So I do think that the combination of stress and our current food supply, our American food supply, are really like a double whammy where people are very, very out of whack. And, you know, I, I actually had a gal come through my classes who's a well-known uh, uh, senator, female senator, and, you know, to hear her talk about how how her gut is so out of balance. It just broke my heart because I can't imagine what she's going through with just the amount of stress. And she really needs to super simplify almost eating for performance for her. Um, so, so I just feel like it's, um, there's so much to do. <laughs> there's so much to be done from a nutrition perspective. You know, and um, our, our, one of our national, or actually a number of the big national nutrition groups have redefined malnutrition as both over and under nutrition. And when you add those two up, you know, malnutrition is almost universal right now. You know, I hear things like 50% of all adults in the United States now have hypertension, you know, and that's a nutrition-related issue. So, there's just, there's just plenty to, to do. So I have a question just to circle back a little bit. When you say that people are coming with all kinds of digestive issues, just to break that down a little bit, what does that look like? Like, for example, I think if you say digestive issues, again, I know a lot of people who will listen to this podcast, they're really new to a lot of this. So what is a symptom of a digestive issue? I know that might sound basic, but what does that mean no, when you see digestive issues? Right. So um, things like gas, bloating, uh, things like up and down energy level, uh, things like you eat something and you're noticing that your skin is different or you're noticing like there's um, your joints feel different, your energy level feels different, or it seems like everything you eat, you blow up like a balloon. Those are some of the real keynotes of digestive imbalance. Um, and then I think too, you know, I was talking to you about 
this wonderful unfolding in my professional world that I've made a connection with several local pediatricians who are referring me a number of young people who have um, some pretty tough eating disorders, all kinds of eating disorders, or just, you know, beginning to have some questions around relationship with food really need some support and education. So there's a whole mental framework around relationship with food. Our culture has a very not so supportive way of communicating nutritional well-being as it relates to weight. So there's a lot of stress-related body image uh, compulsion, you know, thinking about food all the time, worrying about it, you know, feeling really bad about what you eat. These are also things that are, well, let's put that in the digestive imbalance pot as well. That so sounds a lot so good. of these things going on. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard you talk about is some really lovely tips about mindful eating. And I think one of the things I learned in my life too is slowing down or not eating on the go or um, even now it's it's interesting a friend of mine once said so I do know I know a lot about Ayurveda and I wrote a book on it but there is you know how you still you learn a million other things you've never learned it all and somebody once said to me I don't mean to make fun of it it just made me laugh but he said to me Heidi stop standing up and eating I don't want you to die early (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and but he was and he was very serious and I believe him but it was just funny how no one's ever come up to me before and said stop standing up and eating I don't want you to die early <laughs> so you know this idea that I grew up and um, I was very fortunate I had a grandmother who was from Italy she grew up in Italy and then um, when she was little moved to the state so she's uber Italian and to have an Italian grandma is a very special special privilege I realize and I feel like my mother's so lucky that it was her mother and I'm positive she would have never let me eat standing up I'm positive you know I mean eating was a very important ritual for her and it was about Mm -hmm. nourishment and it was about love it was about being together I mean there it was very I think it was a very interesting I really think she actually had a very interesting relationship with food and my mother has a very strong relationship to eating only natural food. It's amazing. I didn't know this about Mm -hmm. my mother because she just takes it for granted. But I mean, we weren't allowed to have those American cheese slices growing up. And all Mm -hmm. I wanted was those single, I think they were craft American cheese. It's Uh all I wanted. And she would not buy them. And I did not understand. And she would never. And I said, what about as a treat? And she was like, you're not, she said, it's plastic. It's not food. And I remember you know, and I don't, and all parents were not like that at the time. I would sometimes sneak over to my friend's house who actually their father was a dentist and they had those pretend <laughs> cheese slices, if, if that's what they're called anyway. And so I would occasionally get one. So anyway, my point in this digression is, I wonder is that, are there any tips you can give us that they might seem very basic to you, but as we're looking at this di- this digestive stuff, and I know everyone's individual, what are some of the just general things you might tell us that we can start paying attention to. Yeah. Well, this is where, again, I think both you and I are Ayurvedic brothers and sisters. I've loved some of the things they say, like the first way to address digestion is to eat in a calm and positive environment. 
you know, what a lovely, simple tip. And you think about how we Americans, we're such multitaskers. The classic American meal is in the car, you know, that you tear open on a meeting, you know, heading to a meeting that you're late for. And thinking about that relative to um, France or Europe, or, or, you know, in Ayurveda, the, in, in the Indian tradition where meals are this beautiful, almost sacred ritual of coming together and, you know, bringing, new, bringing nature virtually into our interior universe, you know, and just taking that time to to savor and to come together and to, you know, treat it like the sacred thing that it is. So, you know, I, I what I tell people is, you know, if you've got to watch TV and I understand like TV and eating go lovely together, like, can you at least watch like tennis or touched by an angel? <laughs> <laughs> the Waltons. You, so know, you mean not something like CSI or <laughs> the news or Yeah. So so that's one that just think about if, if you have to eat lunch at your desk, remember those days we ate lunch at our desk, but if you have to be eating and multitasking in that way, at least do something that you enjoy for that half an hour or so that you're also eating. You know, it's like what can you do to make it your own and yet honor this idea of eating in a calm and positive environment. There's, a, there's limitless ways for that to show up. And then this whole idea of mindful eating, you know, from a, from an evidence-based perspective and just from a, from a helping people perspective, Mindful eating has done nothing less than transform the way that I work with people, especially if there's emotional content to the eating relationship, and there usually is, not always, but usually is, um, that, that this practice of slowing down, savoring, eating with all five senses, and even, you know, um, I've heard somewhere that that someone, one of my Ayurvedic brothers and sisters said, aim for 34 chews per bite. I say to people, even if you can get into double digits, you know, you're really doing great. And you're starting this process of slowing down and honoring the savoring and this process of eating. And even if somebody, you know, takes one mindful bite per meal, it begins this whole process of tuning down the external messages around what and how we might eat, and it tunes us back in to our internal guidance system. And Heidi, what I see it's, it starts people to do is people start to heal from the inside out. So if I'm speaking to someone over time, if I'm seeing someone regularly for nutrition, it's like the second or third time I see them, they're changing on their own, you know? It's like the image I have of, <laughs> you know, like when you're, when you're dragging the horse to water, you can bring a horse to water. <laughs> but if, if people are doing this sort of practice, like, you know, my, my meditation teacher, Sally Kempton, says, you know, that only meditation 
begins to rearrange those internal building blocks in this way. And mindful eating, which is really meditation while eating, um, really begins to do that in a, and I think a really sweet and gentle way. It begins to invite us to shift that relationship with food. So, so what, it's been awesome for me and awesome for most of the people that I work with. Yeah. So what I think I just heard you say, just to reframe it in a different way, is something that I've been talking to people recently about, which is you're saying that if they start to get mindful when they're eating, which one way that can look is even just chewing more, even if you can get into the double digits with a bite, et cetera, et cetera, that one of the things that happens from that is it helps us connect to our body's messages and that helps us know what we really need. So we're not having to try to figure it out all the time as much with our head or what are, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? But we really start to tune into the body just from mindful eating is what I'm hearing you say. And that you're seeing that that happens healing from the inside out, even in just a few appointments with people. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And I mean, we all see that there's so much nutrition information out there and it might be, you know, well, here, here's what it is. It's like, there's all these different writers with all these different approaches to nutrition. And what if every single one of them were correct for someone, but not one of them is correct for all of us. So people get very caught up on, oh, I should be doing keto. I'm hearing everyone's losing weight on keto, you know, whatever the latest you know, information or news out there of what we quote unquote should be doing, should be eating, that's less relevant than your connection to your own body. That skill of recognizing the messages in your own body is really, you know, what all of us who work at a place like Kripalo or Miraval, who work around this beautiful area of food and culinary awareness and even yoga, um, that's what all of us do, I think, is teaching people to, um, to really pay attention to their own body and respond to kind of skillful experimentation on addressing what your own body is telling you. I really love that. I do. Yeah. And I was, the thing that what you were talking about too, one other thing that came up for me, I was just thinking about is you were talking about mindfulness around mindful eating and then the sacredness. And I was thinking about how I have a few friends who've been talking more and more and more about gardens that they've been creating and especially friends who live in cities and they're talking about gardens. Maybe it's in their backyard if they have a small backyard or a big one. And, and they're talking to me about how wonderful it is when they pick the tomatoes or they, they're really watching and they're so invested in this. And it makes me also imagine that when they sit down to dinner with their family, they're enjoying it even more and that they're tapping into that sacredness naturally because they pulled it from their own backyard. It almost, it's almost like I can hear them almost automatically creating this sacredness around the food because they grew it versus us, what I do. You know, I go to the market, I make sure I get a lot of stuff. Luckily, you know, I cook and I've been cooking for myself for a while, but there are times where I might slurp down a bite and realize I 
didn't chew in the double digits. So, but making it ourselves or becoming more mindful, like you said, that it comes from nature and we're putting part of nature into our bodies and we're part of nature. I love that idea of sacredness. And do you find that people are able to try to incorporate that idea into their lives in a new way when you mention it? Is that ever something you follow up on or ways that we can just remember that we are, that we're eating something that came from many, many hands every time? Yes. You know, one thing about thinking about this and the, and the sacredness and the consciousness and so forth is that you know, this whole idea of mindfulness, it's a continuum, right? That we can be, but I want to say too that it's the, the blessedness, the sacredness is something that we have access to regardless of our level of mindfulness. It's almost like these sets of, these are continuums that we have access to. And certainly there's some interesting science that say, oh, when we practice this one side of the continu continuum of consciousness called meditation or mindfulness, that there are benefits we receive. But what I tell people too, that there is something wonderfully blessed about our everyday distracted nature too. So when you say, oh, like slurping something down without chewing it, like there's something wonderfully blessed about that as well. It's like, it's all sacred. It's all blessed. And, but it's, we have this capacity to, to create experiments or to create, uh, to, to do activities that create a certain something in our lives. And I think that many of us, we have a desire to have a, an examined life, for example, right? So this is one of the great tools of an examined life to begin to just pay attention to not only what we eat, but how we eat. So much of what we're talking about now is this such fascinating work of how we're eating. And I think of it as just all these great opportunities to deepen our awareness as part of an examined life to, to, to help us savor more. I really like that word savor, especially with, you know, what we're talking about. And mm -hmm. a question that's been coming up for me is that I have a lot of friends actually who have younger children. So I'm even thinking of younger than what you were talking about when you were talking about pediatrician, like I'm thinking even younger than 10, even younger than eight and some very young children. And what I've been hearing a lot in the past, I would say 10 years and 10 years for me, because even though I'm not a nutritionist, it's nutritionist, I've been hearing from nutritionists or dietitians about this. It seems like there can be a lot of stress around eating for young children as well. It seems like a lot of children are having, maybe they're not eating enough, is what I'm tending to hear from a lot of families. And just that it's hard for parents to have their children eat things. <laughs> and yeah. that sometimes what I'm hearing from parents is it's easier to get them to eat. And I'm saying this with no judgment. I'm just telling you what I hear. It's sometimes easier for them to be eating processed food or, you know, food with artificial colors or just really, really sugary food or food with lots of dairy. 
and that a lot of the doctors are saying just get them to eat anything. I've heard one friend said about five years ago that her doctor said, I don't care if your children just eat ice cream all day, just have them eat ice cream. So I guess what I'm wondering is from your perspective, I'm still interested in this idea, whatever you want to talk about in response, but I'm, I'm sort of in the moment interested in the idea of not only your advice about if there's anything you want to say, what children can eat, because I'm guessing it's different for every child, but this how, like, is there anything that comes to mind that parents can think more about the how, the environment they're creating in that moment. Again, not to put any blame or not to say anyone's doing anything wrong, but I like this idea for adults is what I'm thinking of with sacredness. But yeah. Is there anything about that that parents could do that might help the environment for kids? Definitely. Well, one thing I think, you know, it, it, just to reassure parents <laughs> that, um, Here's what I tell parents, especially with young, young kids, is that parents have the power even when it doesn't feel that way. When it comes to nutrition um, and, and eating and teaching children how to eat and meals and so forth, usually the best way it unfolds is that the parent determines when and what and the child determines if and how much. So, you know, a child's palate changes on a dime, can change day to day, and how much a child eat can, can change day to day. And I know it can be very um, anxiety provoking. You know, we naturally, you know, we naturally, from a genetic predisposition, like go for sweet foods. And the palate evolves over time. I mean, remember how many vegetables you loved as a five-year-old <laughs> and, and how your palate does change. So I think that if parents can simply expose their children to um, vegetables and, you know, I think that kids, if they help prepare things like broccoli, broccoli, kids love broccoli because it looks like little trees and stuff. Um, when you were saying how many did you like as a kid, I would say broccoli. Broccoli was my favorite vegetable as a kid. Yeah, because what it looks like, right? And uh, sometimes the pea pods, sometimes the carrot sticks, that sort of thing. You know, things that are kind of finger foods and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I think that parents can maybe not be too concerned that their children isn't taking the perfect balanced meal at each plate and each meal, but that over time you can kind of steer them by offering things and also just know that they are watching you. So, you know, parents are the models and children do, you know, there's that, that, that period of time as children develop, you know, they tell nutritionists, jokingly, jokingly, that, you know, when kids turn 12 or 13, you know, we say, well, we'll catch them again when they're 20, because they're in that phase when, like, it's their job, kind of, to eat the most crazy blue food, you know, um, and to upset us all greatly, <laughs> but they'll come back, you know, and they'll eat what their parents ate, especially if their parents ate healthfully, as you described so beautifully just now, so, you know, I think that, uh, uh, you know, just just letting that evolve in that way, and trying not to get too wound up about it is a is a good way to be. Um, um, yeah, I think that that's. I I think 
when we're thinking about mindfulness in particular, there's a couple other gifts that parents can give their children just as far as conversations. Um, I do think that one thing we are just taught to be so habitual around food and snacking and so forth, like a, the child comes home from school and they automatically want a snack. And that's more habitual than centered in, are they actually physically hungry? So simply asking the question that begins the dialogue, asking the question, are you, is your body hungry or is it something else? I think when kids get that, when they're a little younger and kind of lose, they, as they go through development, they seem to kind of lose that differentiation between physical hunger and emotional hunger or habitual hunger, for example. Um, so just asking that question and helping kids remember that there are different sorts of hunger is, is such a gift that parents can give. And when we think about mindfulness, one of the strategies of eating mindfulness is to eat with all five senses. So when we're seated around a family table, one way of slowing things down um, that a parent might do is to talk about the sensory aspects of the meal that we're sharing. Like, oh, look at the colors of the salad. I wonder what different flavors are in that salad, or how would you describe that flavor or that color? You know, like, what a wonderful conversation to have with your family, and specifically with kids around that. So it's one way to kind of weave that in without, you know, you know, forcing them to meditate. <laughs> well, yeah, I love that idea. The senses, bringing it back to the senses helps bring us to the moment. And one other story I just want to say about my mother, you're reminding me again, because like I said, I think she was raised in a very, I think, positive way around food. I don't know every aspect of it, but some of these more natural ways. And you're reminding me how we had a, when my brother was younger, he would do this thing where he would lean his chair back during dinner like lean it on the back two legs. And my mother was always worried he was going to fall. And then sometimes he would fall, but he kept doing it because she kept saying, don't do it. And he kept leaning the chair back, leaning the chair back. And I'll never forget, she kept saying things like, you're giving me indigestion. I can't eat. And I remember thinking that was so interesting that she would, you know, be so nervous. She would say, you're giving me indigestion to this, you know, kid. They eventually tried, they kept buying sturdier and sturdier chairs thinking he wouldn't be able to do it. And he was so determined to just keep eating with his chair half back. And so I remember when she would sit at the table and just say, I have indigestion. As a kid, I remember just thinking like, definitely not understanding, but also it just stayed with me that if uh -huh. we were acting a certain way or being a certain way, she would just be like, you're all giving me indigestion. So I think it, I'm saying it, it lines up with what you're saying. If you don't have a calm environment. Now you understand what she meant. Yeah, so it's. And that's, that was your brother's job to give her indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you reminded me of my brother. I, I grew up in a huge Catholic family and my, my brother, um, Steve, who was two years older, used to like, you know, um, you know, pestering me was one of his life missions. And he used to, yeah, be chewing at the table and open up his mouth and it would make me laugh, make me burst out laughing. He would wait till I drank milk. And of course, you know. <laughs> 
So yeah, family meals, you got to love them. I do. I have a lot of really fun memories, like you're saying about that with my brother, with my family. I'm glad that they made that effort. And I think that that helps. So I really appreciate the the tips and tricks that you've given us just for, for all of us, whatever our age is. And also the example that you're showing me in this conversation of so much compassion, just compassion around what's coming up, compassion around how we're viewing our relationship to food and this I feel like what I'm hearing from you is this real nice partnership between compassion for ourselves and witnessing like watching what's going on really Mm -hmm. noticing and paying attention not with judgment but just to start to become more aware of the relationship the thoughts the feelings the emotions around when and how we eat and are we eating because it's coming from more of a sensation in our body feeling hungry or more of just a you know thought process for some reason it's time so at, before we wrap up again just especially in this time when this podcast is being recorded it's a time where we are moving into the fall and the winter months and you know, kids are going back to school or some kids are staying at home. So just in conclusion, is there anything else you just want to tell all of us with this special time we're living right now in the fall of 2020? Any final thoughts for us to keep in mind? Yeah, to, you know, there's so much of, I I love that, uh, I love that little meme that's out there that it's okay not to be okay. So it's okay not to be nutritionally okay right now. There's a lot of folks who are working with, you know, digestive ramifications, weight ramifications of stress. And for right now, like whatever you need to do to get through this time is really okay. There's time for healing later on. Some people are doing great, some people not so much. And if you're just not doing that great right now, just know that you are not alone by a long shot. Um, For most of us, just making a small shift that we practice over time can lead to transformation but two, you know, if it's, if it's, if, if today is not the day, that's not a big deal either, you know, just uh, um, doing what you need to do and reaching out when you can. There's so many different ways to reach out. Um, you know, I have a website, AnnieBK.com, you know, with a, with a, an array of ways of connecting. I'm sure Heidi, you have an array of ways to connect. I know you, like me, we've, we're both authors. We write regularly and, and write all over the place. So for, for me, my website, for you, I'm sure there are, you know, your hub spots where people can touch in and, you know, take what is helpful to you and you know there's there's all different levels of connection i agree and i'm glad that that you segued into that because i wondered the best way where they can get again more information and learn more about you so annie bk and i will write that in the blog post i can write it in the notes so people will see that so it sounds like website is one way is there any other way that you a would like them to follow you and b be able to purchase books or other things of yours 
Well, um, through the website, they can sign up for my newsletter if that's what they're interested in getting. Um, I also have a podcast I'm playing around with, so I'm just getting started in this lovely technology. And my books, um, Every Bite is Divine and Yoga and Diabetes, which is published through the American Diabetes Association. Both of those are available wherever books are sold, the big platforms of Amazon and so forth. Or again, you know, you can always find out what I'm up to uh, through my website. That sounds perfect. And newsletters are a great way too. They're really great to keep people updated. Well, Annie, thank you so much for being here. I always enjoy catching up with you and I really appreciate this time today. Thank you right back, Heidi. <laughs>